Hey, welcome to High Resolution. My name is Bobby Goshal. And I'm Jared Arondu. We're in Menlo Park. We're on Facebook's campus. We're about to talk to someone who I think maybe has the coolest job in design. Maybe. Maybe. He's great. Who is it? That's Luke Woods. He's the head of design here at Facebook. He's going to tell us about his design philosophy, the evolution of design at Facebook, and grooming design leaders. We're going to get to this. Stick around. One quick partner message. For decades, design has impacted how we live. Now it's beginning to shape how we work. Here at IBM, design thinking has given us a new framework for teaming, for co-creating with our clients and users. It's helping us make decisions faster, and it's keeping humans at the center of everything we do. Luke, thanks for joining us. I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. First question, what's one thing about design that's clear to you that you don't think is as clear to other people? Wow, this is a big question. <laughs> and it's a little bit hard for me to say exactly what it is that's clear to everybody else about design. But I can share one thing that's clear to me, and that is that right now is an incredible time to be a designer. So many of the products that we use and depend on day to day are products of design. Um, the apps that we use on our phones, the apps that we use to get work done, the apps that we use to communicate and stay in touch with the friends and family who are most meaningful to us. These are all products of design. And I'm not sure that everyone in the general public realizes that the apps that they use, that they love day to day, are products of design, and that they could get involved in shaping those products if they were to get involved in the design field. You know, I'm also not sure that so many people in the larger array of design disciplines like graphic design and industrial design, architecture, and so forth, I'm not sure that the broader design community really realizes just how special the time is right now for digital product design. So you got into, I, I listened to an interview with you where you said you got into design in an idiosyncratic way and, and pure chance. Um, I wonder, do you think most designers get into design that way? Because I, I share a similar story. I didn't intentionally get into it. You know, um, one, of the, uh, one, of the, one of the best designers at Facebook um, he got started here doing an internship while he was in real estate development school. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have, we have designers who got started um, as, as musicians, mm. and um, we have designers who, um, who, who, who studied economics in school. We, we, we even have designers who didn't go to school at, at all. Um, one, uh, for example, who joined us right out of high school and was just making apps and submitting them to the app store and was just, just doing it, just living it. And, um, you know, I think it is the case that many people end up falling into design. Um, I, I was really lucky. Um, my mom is a career coach and... Oh. My dad is a professor. I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. And so, you know, my mom really wanted me to get out and experience different things. And um, 
you know, my dad had a lot of different connections through Ohio State University and uh, just helped me get connected to, to people who, who were doing design. And um, what was amazing about getting connected to designers, like, um, for example, there was a company in Columbus at the time, um, Fitch. Uh, it started as Richardson Smith, changed its name to Fitch. It was one of the very early design consulting companies. Mm. One of their claims to fame was the iOmega zip drive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A funny um, anecdote about the zip drive and the jazz drive is uh, that the, the, um, the intent behind the names is that they were names that um, one might name your dog. <laughs> Zip. <laughs> Jazz. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, you know, when I was in high school, um, I was lucky to go and spend a month, maybe six weeks at Fitch, um, working with a, a small group of designers there. Um, and that was before I even, even went to design school. Mm. Um, so, you know, I really got lucky so many people um, end up stumbling into the world of design. And I think something that's important for us designers, design leaders to do more of is, you know, share relatable stories mm. about, about the field and help more people become aware that it exists and that it's an exciting applied career path for folks. Besides sharing stories, what are other things that design leaders can do to like shed light on the fact that design is an interesting opportunity, especially for students who are still undecided about what they want to do? Hmm. I think it's a great question. You know, your question makes me think of um, somebody who inspires me, hmm. who I think is a, a great designer and also someone who's great at communicating design to a broader audience. Um, when I was in grad school in Seattle, Washington, I was lucky enough to meet a, um, a, a person named Maurice Woods. And Maurice had completed his MFA at UW a couple years before me. And he started a program called Interact Project. Mm. And, you know, with this program, he wanted to bring design to the community. And Maurice, um, he's like, six foot seven, he's a former professional basketball player, he played pro ball in Europe. And um, in my early days in Seattle, I, I volunteered for Interact Project. And I got to see him uh, firsthand talking about design to a group of underprivileged middle schoolers. And, you know, it was really eye-opening he was able to connect with the students um, talking, about, talking about basketball, talking about um, sneakers. You might be excited about the latest Air Jordans. You know, you can actually design those mm. shoes. That's a, career, that's a career path. You can study industrial design. Um, I went to college at the University of Cincinnati. Uh, DAP is is what the school is, is known by to, to, to those in the know. And um, a part of that program is um, required internships. So it's actually a five-year design course with about a year and a half of internships. And a number of the people who I went to design school with went to do internships at Nike, Adidas, 
Under Armour, companies like that. And some were even designing shoes, mm -hmm. <laughs> designing sneakers. Um, so, you know, I think that the, the story, the example of Mo is a really important story for, um, for design leaders to keep in mind. Um, in particular, how he can see, um, how he can meet people where they are mm -hmm. and kind of talk to them on their own terms versus using the lexicon of design that, you know, we all know, but might not be as accessible to regular folks. Mm -hmm. You open with saying that um, even designers in our industry don't fully understand um, the gravity and, and, and specialness of the moment mm -hmm. for design right now. I'm, I'm curious what, what when, you, when you use the word special, what exactly you're referring to. And then I'm also uh, curious about um, what role you think design plays in people's lives, not just designers' lives, but in a human being's life? Um, you know, I, I think that we are living in a time that is a little bit akin to the um, industrial revolution of the, the 20th century, um, a time when uh, there were many, many products being manufactured for mass use and when people realized that um, those, those products could be, could be designed. They didn't have to emulate handcraft of the past. Mm -hmm. In school, I was really fortunate, lucky enough to be able to go and visit the, the Bauhaus, mm -hmm. a school that we often learn about when we're studying design. And, um, you know, the Bauhaus got started in a town in Germany called Weimar, and it moved to a different location, a city called Dessau. Mm -hmm. And... Um, you know, Weimar is this beautiful town, and Dessau is kind of a dreary industrial <laughs> town. But the reason why the school moved there was to be close to industry, to be close to manufacturing, to be close to the technology of the time. Mm -hmm. That was where um, jet engines were being manufactured, and they wanted to be there with the breakthrough technology so that they could utilize that as they were designing things for people. Um, I think that is, the, um, that is similar to the moment that we're in right now for digital products. Um, you know, we depend on digital products to get work done. We depend on um, spreadsheets and documents and calendars. We depend on digital products, apps to communicate and share with the, the people that we love. Mm -hmm. um, digital products are part of the, the fabric of our everyday life. And for folks who are getting started in design, um, or even for design schools, it's, it's not always apparent that things like apps are products of design. Mm -hmm. You know, it's easy to think I mean, an app, an app is a diminutive word. It sounds so small and so cute. Um, and apps have been around for a while. They must be figured out, right? Um, but having worked at a place like Facebook now for about five and a half years, there's a lot that still needs figuring out. <laughs> there's a lot left to design. Um, one of my favorite posters around the office says, um, the journey is 1% finished. And I think that that speaks to 
just how much work there is yet to be done in the realm of digital products. When you talk about design at Facebook, do you emphasize product design or problem solving? You know, both product design and problem solving uh, more broadly are important. I prioritize um, deep product design, however, when talking about design at Facebook. And the reason why I do that is because the design team here is uniquely positioned to shape the products that people are using every day. And if the designers here don't do that, nobody, nobody else will. You know, we depend on designers to ensure that our products are well-crafted, that they're easy for people to use, um, and that they help people solve real problems. They're really beneficial and, and valuable to folks. Broader skills like problem solving, storytelling, empathy, those are important for everybody at Facebook. Um, because, you know, really so many people here are involved in making products for people. Um, but I tend to emphasize those less because there's something that I expect of the, the full community of people here who are, who are working on products. Mm -hmm. That's do, you, uh, do you think designers are responsible for what they create? And I'll tell you why I'm asking. I mean, we are now sitting in a contentious political environment, certainly the most heated in my lifetime. Um, at the center of it is Facebook, the news feed. Um, the news feed certainly is very, very powerful at disseminating information. Uh, but perhaps the, the falsehoods that have permeated the walls of Facebook um, have been problematic. Uh, I wonder what designers at Facebook think about that. You know, we take these issues very seriously. Yeah. And there are things that we're working on now. In fact, there are lots of people working on these challenges today. Um, there are things that we've been working on for a while also. You know, we really want to connect people with the stories that they find most meaningful. Mm -hmm. And we know that people care about getting information that's accurate. Mm -hmm. um, I can give a, a specific example um, that's kind of interesting. Um, Sometimes people share stories on Facebook um, without having even read the article. Mm. They're sharing based on the title alone. Mm. And sometimes those types of shares are the types of shares that uh, cause um, sensationalism mm -hmm. or polarization. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as we learn something like that, when we're working deeply on an area like this, um, we can factor that into how we design newsfeed because we um, want newsfeed to connect people with the most meaningful information. And we want um, at Facebook at large to create a global community of informed and civically engaged people. Mm -hmm. Well, are you looking at building products that help um, people that might be stuck in their own political bubbles uh, think a little bit broader? Because being informed, yeah. I, I hear you in what you're saying. People want to be more informed, right? But there are, there, there are different variations on quality of information. 
and false information is still information, so you can still be informed. Um, what is Facebook doing now to make sure that um, people are getting access to the right information? So a couple of things. Mm. First, there's a lot of work that we are doing to remove and eliminate hoaxes on Facebook. Mm -hmm. This includes things like better detection up front, as well as partnering with third-party fact checkers. Separate from that, there's this question about um, you know, how, how can somebody have a more nuanced understanding of, mm -hmm. of an issue? Mm -hmm. And that's a very interesting space to design within. Um, we have learned, and in fact research shows, that if you present somebody with an article um, that opposes mm -hmm. the article that they just read, it actually doesn't help them to think more broadly about the topic. It begets polarization. Mm -hmm. um, you can contrast that with, um, for example, um, getting to know a person, a, a human being, as a human being and not just an issue. And um, when you get to know somebody as a human being, you um, see many more of the, 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 the shades of gray and much more of the nuance. And so an interesting opportunity for Facebook in the long term might be um, helping people to connect with other individuals at a more human level rather than um, simply presenting, you know, alternate sides of the same uh, issue. So if I was to just um, simplify just a little bit, when you say connect people at a more human level, you're suggesting that Facebook essentially in this moment could find people with opposing viewpoints and, and get them to befriend each other online? Or like, what, what does that connection look like? You know, this is an early days area, yeah. so it's hard to say specifically, mm -hmm. but if you think about some of the different um, things that we form community around, mm -hmm. you know, one example is um, uh, sports. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a soccer fan. Same here. <laughs> um, and, uh, um, and, and, you know, there's a community of soccer fans around the world. And that community is going to include people who have really different perspectives on different issues. Mm. But because we have that in common, I think it can help for us to be able to um, connect more and for you know, me to be able to hear your point of view more and, and vice versa. I see. So it's finding other things that can get people in the same room and then going from there instead of them standing at opposing sides on one thing. Exactly. So going deeper into this, uh, into the people side of things, um, you manage a massive social good initiative at Facebook. Um, I'm curious, what is the goal of this initiative? Like, what are you, what are you trying? What is the outcome you're seeking? And if you can tell us about some of the features or products that have come out of this so far. I am doing a lot of work um, in the social good space today, and you know, as the head of design at Facebook. I, I really like to be able to focus and go deep on one or two areas of work at any given point in time. Um, you know, I, I don't um, review all of the work that happens across the company. Um, I don't even know if I would have the time to be able to do that. Um, you know, I try to um, uh, bring in great leaders and empower them with 
very big areas, lots of runway um, to work on important things. And that's what enables me to go deep on one or two topics at any given point in time. You know, in the past, I've worked deeply on a number of different things, including, uh, for example, helping Facebook work better for people who are new to the internet in um, emerging markets, places like India, Mexico, or Brazil. Um, uh, Messenger, when we saw an opportunity to kind of reboot and uh, redesign and build Messenger from the ground up. Um, and what I'm focused on today is social good, which fits a little bit more broadly into um, what Mark has described as our work building social infrastructure to keep people safe. Mm. And there's a lot of work in the social good space that I'm really excited about. I've spoken about safety check a number of times before, which is a meaningful product to me at two different levels. I think safety check helps people in the world who are faced with a crisis to um, easily reassure their loved ones that they're okay mm -hmm. and to feel reassured that their friends and family are okay. But at another level, that's a really exciting product to me because it's a product that um, came about in a very organic way at Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, the origin stories of Safety Check are actually a small hackathon in our, our tiny office in Tokyo. Um, what I'm excited about most now in the social good space is a build on top of Safety Check, which we just announced two weeks ago and is called Community Help. So if you're in a crisis, the most important thing is to communicate that you're okay and to check in on others. But after that, you might really need some help. Mm -hmm. You might need help, uh, you know, you might need water, you might need shelter, you might need food, or a whole series of other things. And the community help product is designed to meet those needs. So. For example, Jared, if you have some water to offer, you could do so. And I'm coming to the product. I've indicated that I'm safe. I don't have any water, so I'm pretty worried. Um, Facebook can help facilitate that match. This is a product that was inspired by um, talking to real people. You know, we put people at the center of everything that we do. Um, we were talking to people in Chiang Mai, India, after the floods there a year or two years ago, and there were amazing things happening with people coordinating in complex spreadsheets, um, you know, different resources in order to try to help each other. So we want to make that, through better design, a little bit easier and more scalable and more accessible to the number of crises that people face each year. So in the Chennai floods, is this an example where th did you guys decide to send people to India and, and experience the, the chaos uh, and uh, I guess be a bit of a, an observer? Um, is, that, is that the process you used there or did you wait until everything was kind of cleared out to figure out uh, how Facebook could have played a part? 
We, we did some work to understand as things were unfolding, yeah. um, but did a lot of work in the follow-up afterwards to, um, to see, because afterwards you can, you can talk to people and understand what, what really worked, exactly. not just what's, what's happening, what's exactly. emerging. Yeah. Um, so it was very important to get that um, uh, after the fact kind of, kind of perspective and input. Given your position at Facebook, um, it could be seen in a positive sense um, as signaling when you pick something to focus your time on. You were speaking about earlier that there are many initiatives and from time to time you try to focus on one or two, right? Um, so I'm really curious why you chose social good now. Like what, what drew you to that as mm -hmm. something that Facebook should double down on? So what excited me about that area is a few different things. One, it was a change. Mm -hmm from what I was working on before. And um, you know, before joining Facebook, I worked at IDEO. And one of the biggest things that I learned at IDEO was that it's great to try new things. You never really know what thing you're gonna love. So social good was new and it was different from Messenger. I also like to really uh, work in areas where design is a little bit more nascent. So. This was a new area, mm -hmm. and there, there was no team. It needed to be created from scratch. Mm -hmm. And that's the type of problem that I, I personally get really excited about. And then thirdly, um, the, 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 the mission behind the work, keeping people safe, is one that, that I find to be very, very meaningful. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that there's a lot that Facebook can uniquely do in order to, to help. And you mentioned IDEO. I'm also curious about that transition too, right? Like IDEO, the work that tends to come out from there is more blue sky and higher level thinking, right? Um, more abstract to some sense. And when you came to Facebook, you came to the growth team, I believe. And growth at the time was also pretty new. Was it a similar story? Like what exactly attracted you to go from IDEO to a Facebook working on growth? That was such a new concept. Which is even more peculiar because growth is about yeah, the smaller exactly. details, right? It's about, it's about buttons and colors yeah. and positioning and copy. That is, yeah, it's very interesting. What so, um, you know, it, it is interesting to reflect on this. Um, I was really nervous when, when coming to Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I didn't, I didn't know how, how I would fit in or if I would fit. Um, I also wasn't, I wasn't looking and then one day received an email from, from Mark Zuckerberg, you know, hey, Luke, we're trying to build a great design team here at Facebook. Mm, okay, <laughs> this is an unusual day. Yeah. Um, so I talked with him on the phone and learned a little bit more about what he was trying to accomplish and got to know him a little bit more. And you know, I wasn't joining Facebook as a, as, a, as a senior level person to lead something big. I was joining as a product designer. Mm. And I didn't know what I would come and work on. And um, it's, it's pretty incredible the um, degree to which Mark um, values and understands the value of design, that he would call up on the phone, you know, a random designer, who, who might be interested in, in coming to Facebook. I came in and um, 
I started engineering boot camp. And that was a little bit of a shock. And uh, in fact, I kind of uh, dropped out or drifted away from engineering boot camp in order to help out with some things that seemed like they were problems that needed helping with at the time. We had just announced Timeline. We had just announced some changes to Newsfeed. We had just announced a product called Ticker. The design team was maybe in the neighborhood of three dozen people, and um, there was one design critique a week for three dozen wow. people. <laughs> um, we, we could barely squeeze into the biggest conference room in the building. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to roll up my sleeves and help with these different challenges. Um, how could we make a product like Ticker uh, work better for people? Mm -hmm. um, how could we modify critique such that it would, um, it would work at the scale of the design team then? Um, so I just kind of got started working on things. I did a hackathon, um, my very first hackathon, uh, working with a, 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 a great group. And uh, we designed and built a small feature for Facebook, which enabled you to save a post or save an article, mm. um, which is a thing on Facebook today. And just a few months ago, we, we released a similar feature on Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, maybe about like six months in at Facebook, I was interested in um, shifting to become a manager. And when talking about this, um, the, the, the growth team stood out as an area that I was interested in. And um, I was interested in the growth team because I remembered their talk from orientation. And I remembered learning more in that talk than in any other talk. I remember coming away from that talk thinking less about my own personal experience with Facebook and more about some of the challenges that people around the world were facing as they tried to use Facebook. Challenges like, um, you know, what would it be like to be trying to sign up for Facebook, to be required to have an email in order to sign up for Facebook, and to not have or not know what an email account is. <laughs> um, so um, so I, I felt like I learned a lot from that one talk, probably one hour. And, you know, leaning on my, my biggest takeaway from, from IDEO, try new and different things, I said, I'm interested in growth. Let's go and figure this out. For decades, design has impacted how we live. Now it's beginning to shape how we work. Here at IBM, design thinking has given us a new framework for teaming, for co-creating with our clients and users. It's helping us make decisions faster. And it's keeping humans at the center of everything we do. Of course, we're inspired by our design program, which is over 60 years old, but today, IBM employs more than 1,300 professional designers, and we've certified more than 60,000 IBMers in the practices of IBM design thinking. The result? Diverse teams working more closely than ever with our clients, their users, and our partners to create modern solutions that provide differentiated, 
human-centered outcomes to the world. We'd love to share this story more closely with you. And I hope to see you soon at one of our IBM studios worldwide. We'd also like to thank our friends at Envision for their support. Envision is the world's leading product design platform, powering the future of digital design through their understanding of the importance of collaboration. They're used by some of the most innovative companies in the world, like Facebook, Capital One, Netflix, and Airbnb. I work with remote teams all the time, and I found that keeping a healthy dialogue is really important. Without it, building strong work relationships gets a lot harder, and that leads to poor collaboration. I've also found that prototypes are a great way for me to show my full vision for a design, and this helps cut down a lot of back and forth. Envision makes all of this really easy. You can rapidly prototype your designs and collaborate across every stage of your project, taking your ideas from concept to code. It simplifies virtually every aspect of the design workflow and makes collaboration a core part of the process for everyone, from project managers to designers, developers, and writers. Teams that build digital products are at a serious advantage when they use Envision's suite of prototyping and collaboration tools. It's the best way to get everyone on board. Visit envisionapp.com slash high resolution for three months free. All right, so Mark reached out to you in 2011. This is a year before the IPO, which means he was busy, he was well in it, and he reached out to a product designer out of IDL. Why is that? Did he know you? What did he see in you? You know, I think that um, Mark reaching out is... Is, is a reflection of, of how much he values design. And I think one of the top priorities for Facebook in 2011, 2012, was um, scaling the design team and creating a really strong design foundation to support the future scale of Facebook. And um, um, when, uh, um, when I was uh, in Seattle, um, in grad school at UW, the mm. University of Washington. Um, my, my gig was TAing different early design classes. And in one of those classes, or maybe two, I had a, a, a couple of students who were a particularly talented bunch. One ended up um, getting an internship at Facebook. Mm. In fact, I think that his plan was to get hired by Facebook and drop out of school. Right. And if things had gone according to plan, we probably wouldn't have even met. Right. But they didn't go quite according to plan. He ended up with an internship instead of a full-time job, and then a return internship. And um, he started working at Facebook after, um, after school. And that was at a point in time where the Facebook design team was very small, like, as a guess, maybe a dozen people. And um, that was at a point in time where there was a very high technical bar for designers at Facebook. Designers were expected to design, but also to be production-level front-end engineers. And um, this individual, Drew, um, he helped to open up Facebook's uh, and broaden Facebook's definition of design and uh, started to pull in a few talented designers who he knew. And um, he pulled in one, two, three. He helped to pull in me. Mm -hmm. So 
I think Drew is another part of the 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 story there. <laughs> um, I mean, the it's funny because I think that that speaks to um, something that drew me to Facebook. Mm. Um, Facebook is all about people connecting, about communication, and um, that is the way that so many things get done. Mm-hmm. You know, were it not for um, uh, broad communication technology, Drew and I never would have connected and never would have made the connection back here. Um, that's not the type of thing that one is likely to achieve through, um, you know, working on a job application tool or something mm-hmm. like that that's a little bit more narrow in focus. So coming back to your journey to the growth team at mm-hmm. Facebook, um, that was a very interesting time, I suppose. Like it, it was still a pretty new concept. What were some new things that you discovered or created as far as your design process and how you thought about problems? Um, there are a few big things. One is that um, I learned a lot uh, in the early days on the growth team about designing for people who aren't like you. Um, I mentioned the example of somebody um, signing up for Facebook for the first time on their phone without have, having an email address or even having heard of an email address. What is this? Um, and that's a pretty amazing experience. I mean, that's, that's what I would do at IDEO as well, but um, I could get much deeper into it um, in the context of, of, of Facebook and Facebook's global community of users. Um, so that's one huge learning and huge, huge kind of takeaway from my early days on growth. Um, another, is, um, another is the importance of data in designing products today. You know, when you're designing for somebody who's really not like you, it's hard to know what works. And so we can use data in order to understand, you know, is this really working for somebody? Is this making it simpler for them to sign up and confirm their account on Facebook? Um, or, or, or isn't it? Maybe it was a good idea, but maybe it's not working. Or maybe it's not quite working yet. And um, those learnings have informed um, all of the work that I've done subsequently. I think that data is one of the the best tools for designers today. Um, And it's a special tool that enables us to understand, are the products we're making really working for people? I would also argue data is probably one of the most misunderstood skills or or tools for a designer. Some people, when they hear data, they think it's cannibalizing their creativity. Like they don't, they can't do anything anymore because data said it's X or data said it's B, right? Um, What are some things designers should keep in mind when they're actually thinking about applying data to their design process? And how should they actually approach it if they wanted to turn around and try this tomorrow? Um, One of the best pieces of advice that I could give is to um, start your design process with data. You know, um, as you are, are thinking about um, what might be, it's great to talk to people, to do user research, to get maybe a descriptive analysis about how the product is working for people today, um, to spend some time to just understand um, and really, really understand 
the area that you're working in. Um, sometimes up front in the data, it can help you to identify a special opportunity for a design. So I'd encourage designers to start early thinking about data and use it as they're, as they're identifying where the design opportunities might be. Mm. I'd also encourage designers to just be, be open. Um, the, um, you know, data enables us to be a step more empirical in understanding what works. So um, don't be too attached to the thing that you're making because um, you don't know necessarily whether it's going to work or not. And that's okay. It's, that's okay. It's a part of the process. Um, maybe lastly, I'd say I, I think it's great for designers to, um, to learn about data. Um, learn enough about it to, um, to be able to um, ask good questions. Mm -hmm. Learn enough about it to be able to identify when the data might be fishy. Maybe this isn't actually accurate. Or, or maybe, um, uh, maybe this isn't the data that matters. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's something else that does. So you moved on from growth. How long were you in growth? How many, how many years or months were you on the growth team? Um, I, I worked directly on growing Facebook for maybe a couple of years. A couple of years. Okay. So you had a couple of years of experience of growth on, under your belt. Then you were put in charge uh, of Messenger, from my understanding. Is that right? You, you led the design on the Messenger team or you, you built the design team for Messenger. Um, how was it different? Like what, how were the two teams operating differently and, and what did you bring from growth to the Messenger team? Um, so Messenger was a really exciting opportunity. Um, it was exciting because um, uh, a couple of different threads were coming together. Mm -hmm. um, uh, one thread was that one of the designers, a very talented designer who was working with me on growth at the time, um, was just interested in Messenger and um, was thinking about some of the problems that Messenger was trying to solve and how they were inhibited by building messaging within the main Facebook app. Mm. And so he started tinkering and um, putting together some, um, some designs, some, some actually very sophisticated demos um, that showed what it could be like to, to have a dedicated and standalone Messenger app. And that kind of coincided with some uh, broad um, uh, strategic uh, understanding at, at the time. Mm -hmm. um, uh, as, we, uh, uh, as we tried to get a sense of um, what mattered for people um, in a messaging product. Mm -hmm. And the things that matter are things like, you know, getting really fast responses from the people who you're messaging. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Finding people, right? Yep. Quickly. Yeah, right. exactly. Um, so... Um, so these different threads were coming together, the uh, kind of broad strategic top-down understanding, the bottom-up uh, tinkering and designing and uh, imagining uh, what this product could be like. Mm. And myself and a number of people shifted our attention from growing Facebook toward um, this different, uh, different opportunity, different problem space, mm. Messenger. And actually, we, we applied a lot of the same types of thinking and the same learnings that we had from the growth space. But of course, the, the, um, 
the, the problem was a little bit different. Mm -hmm. um, recreating, kind of rebooting a whole new app versus um, helping somebody in India sign up for Facebook on their phone. What were some other principles on the, on the growth team that you brought to Messenger? So I, I understand that designing for people that don't look like you or live like you is a big one. Mm -hmm. um, what else? Iterating fast, maybe? Is that so? Well, the, um, uh, one other thing that I think is worth mentioning is, um, is, is process. Mm. Um, and there isn't a standard process at Facebook you know, different groups, different people have the autonomy to define the process that they believe is going to set them up for success in achieving their goals and, and mission. Um, the the folks on growth have a have a more um, uh, a more refined process, though. That is one that that I really like and that that I believe in. Mm -hmm. um, and the process is simple: understand, identify execute. And I think it's a really uh, special process. Um, take the time to understand things before you get started making them, you know? Um, with the understanding that you have, identify what is the biggest opportunity, what are the most important problems to solve. Um, and, um, and then after you have that figured out, you know, execute. You don't have to worry about the rest. Just focus on getting it done and making it real. Um, that's a process that we employed on Messenger, and that's a process that I like to utilize um, in a whole range of different uh, challenges and opportunities that come up. That's awesome. So for design teams who are watching this and listening and who are in the middle of scaling their own design teams, right? Um, Facebook, I believe the design work is in the hundreds, 400 plus. We don't release the number okay, of designers right. so or folks working on, yeah. on anything in particular, but I think hundreds is fair. Okay. Right. So in the hundreds. So thinking about teams who are in the tens, right, or in the ones right now. Yeah. Um, looking back on how Facebook grew its design organization, what are some lessons that they can take away on how to scale not only just like the number of people within their team, um, but their process, mm. uh, their design language, and especially design systems. Yeah. I think one of the most important things for a team as they're scaling, mm. especially a small team, is having the willingness to let go of things. Mm. Like really let go of them. Um, because you have to be willing to let go of big and important and exciting things in order to bring in the types of leaders that you're going to need to depend on as you scale. Because before you know it, there'll be more, more work and more things that you can personally and individually attend to. Mm -hmm. I think that that's the number one thing for me, actually, is um, be willing to give things away. Because you need to do that in order to get great people. Um, there are other things as well, though. Um, you know, one thing that has worked... I think quite well at Facebook is that we um, built up a program inspired by engineering bootcamp, which all engineers go through when they get started here, uh, that we call Design Camp. And Design Camp is uh, something that if you were starting at Facebook as a designer, you would go through Design Camp for your first couple weeks. And that is a point in time where we can describe the context 
of Facebook. We can um, help you to um, uh, have some uh, techniques that might set you up for success. Mm -hmm. We can explain our design philosophy and give you exposure to different design tools and so forth. And as a team is growing quickly, um, you can reach a huge portion of the design community by focusing on new people as they're coming in. Another thing that um, has helped us to scale that's less in the, in the people space, that's a little bit more in the product space, is um, what we call FIG, the Facebook Interface Guidelines. And FIG is something that started um, several years back. And um, we wanted to create something that was uh, true to the way that Facebook works. And the way Facebook works is you know, lots of different people, different groups who have lots of autonomy. No top-down process. Um, so, so we um, set about to create um, components um, built in code that designers and product teams could, could use. And our thinking was that it would be easier for a designer and for their team to grab this pre-built component that has a whole bunch of things figured out than it would be to design something from scratch. Yeah. And that it would enable designers to focus on identifying what are the unique problems that they need to solve in what they're working on and put the majority of their design attention toward those unique problems rather than peanut buttering their energy across every aspect of the design. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. You, earlier you mentioned um, the willingness to give something up, or to give things up. I'm curious if you can give us an example of something you gave up. Yeah, I think a, an interesting example of that is um, internet.org. Mm. Internet.org uh, is a, a really uh, big uh, mission, really exciting, bringing people online. Um, it's, it's, a, it's amazing. and. And I was taken aback when, when Mark said, let's do this. It just seems so big. Um, and that's an area with a, a, where we were building up a design team from scratch. It's an exciting problem. It, it's something that's really meaningful. Um, and uh, that's something that instead of saying, you know, I want to roll up my sleeves and get involved in that, I said, you know, um, to one of the people on my team, this might be a cool opportunity for you. And they've built up an incredible design team that's focused on internet.org and is doing really amazing work that's, that's not often seen by folks like us here in California. Mm -hmm. um, and there are, there, are other, there are other examples as well. Yeah. When, you're in, when you're meeting with Mark or any of the other board members or people in the C-suite, um, what perspective do they expect you to bring um, to those meetings? Yeah. One of the things that Cheryl says um, that resonates with me deeply is that um, you should bring your whole self to work. Mm -hmm. And um, so when I bring my whole self to work, mm -hmm. that includes the part of me that's a designer. Um, and so you know, um, Mark or Cheryl could expect me to bring a design perspective to bear on a given topic. Sure. 
how we could craft something better or how we could make something work better for people. Um, but, but there are other aspects to who I am as well. Right. You know, I grew up in the Midwest. I'm kind of a quiet person. I like to, I like to listen and take a lot of things in and then, and then kind of summarize back to people. Um, I'm, I'm an introvert. I mean, we have, we have posters around that say, you know, move fast. I kind of feel like I'm a slow person. <laughs> um, and so, you know, in that context, I, I bring my whole self, which includes all these other aspects, not just me as a designer. What do you think the role of a designer is today? I think that uh, uh, the role of, of a designer today is, um, is focused on shaping products, making things that people use. Um, there's a really interesting um, exhibition right now in Kanazawa, Japan, that is about the line between craft and design. And I think the difference between craft and design is, is in part the scale. You know, when you design something, you're designing it to be used by many people, many people who aren't you. Um, and another difference between design and craft is typically that you depend on more people than just yourself to make mm -hmm. something. Um, and uh, um, so design is all about making things where you need help from others to make it, and you, you hope that people beyond just you will be able to use it. Um, I really like these kind of applied, pragmatic, like practical definitions of design and what designers do. Um, I also believe that things like storytelling and problem solving and empathy are important aspects of design, but it's okay that fundamentally what we do is shape the products that people use. Mm -hmm. And thinking a little bit ahead now for a designer, uh, things like virtual reality, um, artificial intelligence, um, cognitive computing are finally getting consumerized um, and uh, becoming a little bit more human-like. Right? In the future, do you think we're going to come to think of these things as humans? Um, and whatever your opinion is around that, um, how do you think that's going to influence the way designers actually design for these systems going forward? You know, it's hard for me to say if and when we might start to think of technology um, in the way that we think of, of, of humans. Mm -hmm. um, what we really do here is put people at the center of everything that we do. Um, but that doesn't mean that technology isn't an important part. Um, it makes me think of a, 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 a time um, a few months back when our head of sound design uh, came up to me and he said, hey Luke, um, why don't you come and check out this thing? And so I, I, I put on the Oculus headset and <laughs> proceeded to take off in an airplane <laughs> and fly around and, and all this stuff. And I said, okay, well, that's, that's pretty cool. You know, what's, what's to do here? And, um, and, and Will said, okay, now, now try this version. And so he gave me a different headset, and I put it on, and um, took the same trip, but it was much, much more lifelike. Mm. It was totally different. It felt like um, as I turned my head, you know, 
I could hear the engine behind me. And the difference was that um, there was spatial audio in the second version rather than the first. And that's a really cool breakthrough. Mm. We, um, we, we, we actually announced and released this uh, yesterday so that people can um, incorporate spatial audio into their uh, virtual reality or 360 degree videos. And I think that showcases the way that technology moves on. There are always different breakthroughs. Those breakthroughs are um, really exciting for us designers because they, they provide us with new opportunities. Yeah. But, but I think that in that example, it also shows that people are at the center mm-hmm. because that's all about making the experience for the, the actor much more realistic and lifelike. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you look past uh, your last five and a half years here, um, you look at your entire body of work and you think of how much you've personally grown there are probably thousands of product design. I mean, you started as a product designer at Facebook. You are now, five years later, the head of design at Facebook. And there are product designer, designers out there wondering, what was his journey? What were the skills that Luke emphasized uh, that brought him into a position to be able to now manage this big team and all of these fundamentally different yet super connected products? What were some of the skills and, 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 and uh, areas of growth for you? You know, I, I think I was really lucky. I think I was lucky um, to be at a company like Facebook that was at a very high growth uh, point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel very fortunate for those opportunities that were in front of me. I think that um, there are a few different things that helped. Um, one thing that helped is um, putting others first. Um, this is a notion that um, the um, uh, business school uh, professor Adam Grant writes about um, mm. from time to time. The notion that there are people who are givers, people who are takers, and people who are matchers. And, um, you know, when I came to Facebook, I just tried to give as much as I could and do what was right for all of the people who were using the product do what was right for Facebook, um, do what was right for the design community at Facebook, and put myself at the bottom of the list. And, um, and I think that the focus on what's best for the community of people who use Facebook, what's best for the company, I think that those are the values and attitudes that help me to get to where I am today. Do you think there are responsibilities mm-hmm. um, that designers should be paying attention to today that could, um, that maybe they're ignoring to their own detriment that could actually help uh, build them up inside of their own companies, uh, help them grow and put you on a, put them on a similar trajectory uh, as yourself? You know, I think one of the most important skill sets for designers is to um, understand the context that they're operating within. Mm. You know, understand uh, what a given company's values are. Understand where the company is trying to go. Understand what the company is all about. And if you can do that, then you can frame all the work that you're doing as a designer in those terms and in that language that everybody's going to understand. Um, and I think that sometimes designers uh, can end up stuck in the world of design. And 
and get too deeply into, you know, some particular facet of the design that they're working on. I mean, I, I was having dinner with a, um, with a VC a few years back and, um, he uh, said something that, um, he said, he said, designers are like cats. You just have to give them a ball of yarn and then they'll just like play with it. (laughs) And that's brutal. It's brutal. But, um, but there is some truth to that. You know, sometimes it does happen that a designer can end up uh, focused, you know, a little bit more on their portfolio piece than right. on um, what's really going to uh, be an important contribution. It reminds me of the process you spoke about earlier, understand, identify, execute. Yeah. And oftentimes we get too caught up in the latter. Yeah. It's interesting. Should we go into community questions? All right, we're in the last segment here. We're making it. Okay, so um, we reached out to our community and we asked them what matters to them most, what's burning up inside them, and they gave us five questions that we want to go through. And I love that you're doing this. Yeah, this is this is fun. Okay, so we're we're asking everyone this, by the way. So, how should designers explain the role of design to people in their business? Um, I think it's it's best for designers to um, focus on explaining the role of design through concrete examples. The best examples will come from within the organization that you're, you're a part of. So um, if you want to um, showcase or more broadly communicate the value of design in your organization, I think you should identify maybe a hero case for design. Um, a, a time where design really made a difference for something that matters to the company. And make sure to tell that story. <laughs> you know, we improved the uh, registration experience for people on Facebook and it made it much easier for people to confirm their accounts. And now many more people are on Facebook because we made it easier. Um, and that a type of hero uh, case, hero example, it's almost self-evident. Right. There's no question about the value of design. It's, it's, it's obvious that it's there. Um, you might have that hero case already, and you just need to communicate it and frame it in that way. Or if you're just getting started and you don't have that hero case, you know, look out for what that might be. The second question is, how is the design team at Facebook organized? Um, the way that we organize products at Facebook is that we have lots of small teams, and each small team has, um, has a lot of autonomy and responsibility for the area that they work on. So Facebook is a big company and a high-growth company, um, but you might find yourself here working with a handful of engineers, maybe one other designer, couple of data people, uh, one project, one product manager. Mm. Um, you might find yourself in a very small group. It might feel a lot like a startup, but building on top of the Facebook platform and Facebook infrastructure rather than a startup building from scratch mm-hmm. in the market. Um, so that's really how we organize. Um, we think of there as being a few different pillars of product development. Um, these include product design, data, engineering, and product management. And there's also a suite of other teams and disciplines that um, are involved in shaping product, like 
content strategy, sound design, research, product marketing, etc. So for a given initiative, we try to assemble a team, a great team, a small team that can um, internalize the purpose of the work, the goal that they're trying to achieve and can chart a course to do so. Um, the next question is when you're the only designer in a company, you're a far cry from that, I get it, but <laughs> when you're the only designer in a company, how do you convince the leadership in that company of the value that design brings? You know, being the only designer in a company is a unique situation. Mm -hmm. I think it's a unique challenge. It's, it's tough to be by yourself. Um, it's also kind of a, a, a cool opportunity because there's lots of room to grow from one. Mm -hmm. I think how to convince people of the value of design is going to depend a little bit on the, the organization itself yeah. and what the organization is all about. Um, one thing that I did um, when I was getting started on growth that uh, I think worked well, that's maybe a small tip that, that folks might appreciate, is um, I um, uh, gave a book to my manager. And the book that I gave to my manager at the time was um, a book called The Universal Principles of Design. And I chose that book very carefully. I chose that book uh, because it's very accessible. Mm -hmm. It's very simple. It's like 50, 100 different examples, one page at a time, of different ways that design could add value. And, um, um, and you know, I don't know if he read the whole book or not, but I know that he at least read a few of the examples because they, they became fodder for future conversations. Wow. And um, uh, so, um, that might be that might be a small thing. Sure. The next question is: How should designers measure and present the results of their work to people in their business? Measurement and the results of of one's work are really important things. But I'd question a little bit whether designers are the ones who should be measuring the results of their work. You know. Designers aren't necessarily neutral in that case, nor are we necessarily experts in data and understanding things. So, I mean, it would be great to have somebody whose depth is data and understanding to be uh, there to talk about and describe and define whether this is working or isn't working. Um, I think it's important to do so in a, in a really um, neutral, a really empirical kind of way. I think that you could run into lots of problems if you try to um, cherry pick something that's working well or um, kind of oversell. So we can end with this final question. As the function of design continues to evolve, as it has been, um, what are some roles or methodologies that you think might emerge over the next five years? Over the next five years, I think... I actually think that we will continue to see digital products focused on people um, at, uh, at the forefront. Um, and I hope that over the next five years, we'll see more people, more designers today, get involved in design of digital products. I hope that we'll see more people at large get into design mm -hmm. and into 
um, the design of digital products. I hope that we'll see a more diverse community of people get into design. Mm -hmm. You know, there was some, there was a study a week or two ago that was released that um, was looking at um, parents subsidizing the income of 20-somethings in, in urban environments. And of course, the discipline that's at the top of the list of parent subsidies is the arts. Yeah. And um, I think that that is something that can, that's something that can really change if more people get involved in applied product design and especially of digital products. Mm. Um, the technology will change. It always does. We'll have more lifelike, more realistic um, uh, experiences that are possible. Uh, the bandwidth uh, will increase. Um, uh, audio and other types of things will be more important. Um, but I think that fundamentally, one of the constants for design will be that we're shaping the products and that we're putting people first. Well, Luke, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks, Jared. Hey, you made it to the end. Congratulations. Thanks for watching the episode. I really, really hope you liked it. If you did like it, please leave us a review on the iTunes store. And by the way, if you have any questions that came up because of the content that, that we covered with our guests, go on YouTube, go on Twitter. You can tweet us, you can leave us a comment. We'll get back to you. We'll help you as much as possible. At High Res Podcast. That's the, the screen name or the handle for Twitter, for Instagram, for Facebook. Find us, talk to us. We want to converse with you. Uh, we're not going to leave here, by the way, without also thanking our friends at Searle Video. They've been an amazing partner on this entire project. So Searle Video is a creative studio based out of Portland, Oregon. They've helped creative communities tell stories for over 10 years. They've done advertisements, behind the scene footage, um, and documentaries for companies like Google, Slack, XOXO Festival, Adobe, Intel. They're incredible. They've traveled with us through the entire country documenting these stories with our guests. That's incredible. Thank you so much, Searle. Listen, if you're a startup looking to elevate your product, if you're a big company looking to humanize your brand, if you're someone in the creative community who just wants to tell a story, you've got to check out the team at Searle Video. It's searlevideo.com, S-E-A-R-L-E, video.com. Check out our friends at Searle. Thank you so much, guys. You guys have been incredible on this project.